So today, again, we are at Father's Day. For those of you who are overseas and maybe don't celebrate a Father's Day right now, we are here in Father's Day. And today, our message is going to relate to that. But I have a preface for the sermon today that relates to Father's Day and for all of us who are fathers. Today's sermon is from exile to exodus to Eden's rivers 2.0 and 3.0. For those of you who don't know this kind of terminology, 2.0 means new and better, and 3.0 means really new and better. So that's kind of what we're doing with the overview with the sermon today, which really is a way of summing up the prophecy of, that God brings through Isaiah. Uh, the subtitle today is Kupas for Papas and Rivers for God's Garden. So a lot going on there with the sermon title. It kind of gives you an overview. But let's pray, and then we're going to talk to dads for a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we come before you today, we give thanks that you are our Father. And through your Son, you have given us a solid rock on which to stand and to trust in you and not be afraid. So Abba, Father, we pray to you and ask that through your son and through the solid rock that he has provided for us and is indeed himself, and by his Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and we would hear and be your faithful children today and in the days ahead. In Christ's name, amen. So the preface uh, to today's sermon talks, uh, talks about dads. So here we are, fathers. What are fathers? Fathers are called by God to be shepherds. What are shepherds supposed to do? Shepherds are supposed to give direction and protection. And shepherds are supposed to be with the sheep. You cannot phone in being a shepherd. If you do, your sheep are going to get killed pretty fast. You can't do it off of your iPhone. You actually have to be with the sheep. A central verse of scripture having to do with parenting and also specifically fathering is from Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Most of you will know this verse of scripture. Train up a child in the way very specifically, in the way that Derek, this is all, talked about all through the Bible, God calls us to a way. If we follow Jesus, we are in a way. We are living out a life. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And then even when he is old, he will not depart. He will not stray from that way. Proverbs 22, 6. Uh, calling upon central words and messages of the scripture. God calls us to meditate on his word all the time and to be directed in his word in walking a specific way. And then in the midst of that, if you're with me on, on Sunday mornings in my Sunday school class, you know this, uh, the Proverbs talk a lot about, and the whole Bible talks a lot about way in general, and then also paths, paths, the uh, rope. So uh, both of those. Dads are supposed to give basic direction to their children, and then also teach how to choose paths. Because, you know, it's one thing to say I'm heading west. It's another thing which little route you're going to take on a given afternoon, right? So way and path. 
dads or shepherds, we are called to provide direction, protection, and instruction. A dad needs to be a map reader. A dad needs to know where you are. It's great to look at this flower, but yeah, where are we? And is there danger out there? And where are we heading? Now, if you say you're being really old school, Martin, we all use GPS now. I can say, okay, dads need to know how to use the GPS. Hopefully, God positioning system, okay, not just global positioning system. But here's the thing. When the Russians or the uh, People's Republic of China knock out our GPS, we're going to need a few dads who can still read maps, too, and kind of know general direction, all right? So just keep that in mind, folks. It could really happen. Have you been watching the news lately? All right, so dads need to be big picture people and know how to read the map. Um, and what does that mean spiritually? Know how to read this. Know their way around this. If a father does not know how to use this and does not know his way around this, how can he expect his child to know her or his way around this? Do you hear what I'm saying? The most important central thing that a father can do is to be in this word and to know God's way, not just theoretically, but day to day. Talk to your children, the Shema says. Meditate on my word and talk to your children when you go to bed at night, when you rise in the morning, all along the way, all through the day. So that's what dads are called to do. A dad guides his children in God's word. If that is not happening, we have major breakdowns. And you can say, well, we're really busy now and most of us don't do that. And I'll say, yes, and have you seen the fruit of that disruption? Be in this, know this, know your way around it and teach your children their way around it. Not just, well, here's this book and here's that book. You need to know that type of thing. But what is God saying through it? That all is a preface both that applies to what we're called to do as dads and as shepherds and as readers of the book and the way of the Lord. But it also leads into what we're talking about today, because I know I'm going to be moving all over the place in the scripture today. And if you're a dad and you're saying some of the stuff you're talking about today, I've never heard before. I'll say, OK, pay attention, go back, read the notes. I've got notes for you. And if you're saying, you know what, you're talking about some big things. I just need basic instruction on how to even open up this book and how it's arranged. Call me up. I love to do basics on what the Bible is, what God is saying through it, and I'd love to talk with you. Also invite you to some of our studies, our men's group on Tuesday morning, Sunday school, other opportunities. So here we are. Uh, we are preaching from Isaiah this year, and let me remind you, I've mentioned this before. If you're with me on Wednesday nights, you may have heard a little bit about this. We'll get into this more after the summer break when we get back late this summer into Wednesday night studies, the book of the prophet Isaiah is laid out in seven cycles. Speaking of map reading, you really got to know the way books of the Bible are. We're not just cherry picking a verse here or there. You're going to miss everything. It's nice to look at the daisy, but you might want to know what mountain you're on too, right? So um, the book of the prophet Isaiah is laid out in seven cycles. 
You've heard that from me before. You'll continue to hear that, uh, and we'll work that out. Just like, right, the book of Judges has seven cycles of sin and consequence and crying out and deliverance, just like the book of Judges has those seven cycles. And just like, yes, of course, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ to John the Apostle has seven cycles, just like the book of Revelation tells the same prophetic story seven times and you move through those seven cycles and you're not supposed to miss this in Revelation. The sevens are a big deal, all the sevens are, and obviously the seven cycles are. So yes, the book that is most formative and informative to reading the book of Revelation, Isaiah also has seven cycles. And let me, here's where I'm going to on this today. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I believe, in the sermon. I'm giving it to you again now. Five of Isaiah's seven cyclical sections climax with visions of the glorified Zion. Five of the seven. We are supposed to be catching this when we read Isaiah, the movement toward the new Zion the true Zion, and how our salvation calls us in to be among the redeemed in the new Zion, in the new creation. You're supposed to be getting this, folks. Guys, on Tuesday morning, when we're talking about the resurrection, it's part of this larger story, right? So uh, the, these uh, five of the seven climactic highlights of the glorification and the glory of Zion Chapter 2, the opening verses, chapter 4, chapter 11, chapter 25, and chapter 65. And guess what? We've been talking about two of the five the last couple Sundays. And as I promised you, we're coming back to both of them today. Uh, 2, chapter 2, and chapter 4 of Isaiah. In this message about moving from exile to exodus to Eden's rivers, from exile to exodus to Eden, Eden's rivers, 2.0 and 3.0. We're gonna begin by reading just a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter one, and then we're gonna go to Isaiah chapter four again, verses two through six. We were at four, chapter four primarily last Sunday. We'll finish out the last couple of verses of um, the second half of the inclusio there, okay, that we talked about last week. So here's one of the high points, one of these messianic prophecies, Isaiah 4, 2 through 6. And then we come back to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And you can ask me, why are we doing in that order? Because I'm telling you, this is like the first shall be last, okay? The first one, the first climax informs all the rest and is higher than the second. Two is a bigger deal than four. So we need to go back to two uh, before we finish up today. So uh, let's open God's word to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter one, verses 27 and 28. Amid all this judgment talk, again, we get this bolt of promise in the midst of judgment. 27 and 28, Zion, you see that word again, right? 
Zion shall be redeemed by justice. And those in her who repent, those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together. And those who forsake the Lord, those who forsake Yahweh, shall be consumed. Shall be consumed. Now, over to Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. The second part of this inclusio, this early inclusio in the opening chapters, right? From the two millennial visions. The second one, Isaiah 4, 2 through 6. In that day... The branch of Yahweh, the branch of the Lord, shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem shall be called Kodesh, holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then Yahweh, the Lord, will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies, plural, a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a chuppah, a canopy. And there will be a booth, sukkah, for shade by day from the heat, and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. And then back over to the opening climactic statement that's inclusio with this four passage we just read. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amotz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the head of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations, all the Gentiles, shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, ways, paths, for out of Zion shall go forth Torah, direction, and the Lord's word from Jerusalem. He shall set things right, he shall judge, he shall set things right between the nations, and shall correct many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers 
fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. So for the sermon application today, one, two, and three, and I can tell you one is really the main preaching message that probably applies to most of us. Number one, repent, be baptized by Christ in the Holy Spirit, and bear fruit in Zion. Repent, be baptized by Christ, and bear fruit. Good news. By his righteousness and spirit of burning, Yahweh will redeem the remnant in Zion who repent. The burning is not, not good news, but it is good news. Well, which is it? It's both. It's going to hurt. It's going to bring a lot of condemnation and destruction. But through it all, God will bring about the glorious new. It's better than anything we can ever imagine. He will redeem the remnant in Zion who repent. And the redeemed will bear much fruit. That's the map. That's the game plan of the Bible and of these passages, particularly um, four and two from Isaiah. So number one, repent. Repent. That means turn away from everything that is distracting you away from God. Let go of things and choices and lifestyles and things that are holding on to your heart, your money, your family, that are turning you and them away from God. Repent. This is going to be Judah's path. God lays it out. Sin and more sins coming. Warnings, plural, warnings for generations, for decades and decades and decades. It's still coming at the time of Isaiah, and he can see what's playing out in front of him and will play out in front of him because of the visions God gives Isaiah. So the warnings lead to what? Repentance? No. More sinful rebellion and idolatry, trusting in other nations and the powers of other nations and what the world says will work and protect you, making alliances that God says do not make. We'll keep talking about this as we move through Isaiah. Sinful rebellion and idolatry, which leads to judgment and now full judgment and condemnation, which leads to exile. Remember, formally, Informatively for Israel, Egypt, slavery. You want 2.0 on that? Okay, go to Babylon. And by the way, Assyria before was even worse. Former exile in Egypt, coming exile, coming to a theater near you, God says through Isaiah, Babylon. And if you don't know Babylon, you got to know Babylon in the Bible. Isaiah, Revelation, catch it, connected. But God will redeem a repentant remnant for the new true Zion, a holy nation dedicated to God. So this is what God's word is saying. Isaiah 1, 27 and 28. Zion, Zion, not everyone now, Zion will be redeemed by justice. Who's going to bring that? Jesus ultimately is going to bring that. And those in her who repent by righteousness. 
Now, repentance, is repentance easy? No. It involves change. And we like the way we do things and get in the habit of doing things. We're talking about repentance here, folks, turning. Uh, well, what about the people who don't? Isn't everybody just loved by God and God's chosen people anyway? No, God says, rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. The fire is either going to bring your salvation or your ultimate destruction. Is it going to refine you or is it going to bring your condemnation? The answer lies in where you are with God. Repent, God says. Repent and be baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Maybe it's good we have the red back up here today, just like we talked about. I talked about this at Pentecost, right? John the Baptist prophecy called for radical to the roots repentance. Not just a few religious acts, not just, well, we're going to fast and pray for a week and maybe go to church a little bit more. We're talking the whole lock, stock, and barrel. John preached this. You can read this in Matthew chapter 3. Bear fruit. The fruit tells you what's going on spiritually in the root. Bear fruit. Witness, testimony, service to the Lord, giving graciously unto the Lord, giving of our hearts, not just our money, both, all of the above. Serving the Lord, loving the Lord, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. For now, even the axe is laid to the root of the trees, John said. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's that word again, the fire. I baptize, I baptize you, John said, with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. His sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. If you can tell me that Jesus has never shaken up your soul in your life, I have news for you. You've never met Jesus. You're praying to a pretty boy poster on the wall or a cross that has nothing to do with the cross of salvation. He will change you inside out and he will change your life. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Isaiah 4, verse 4, when the Lord shall have, how's he going to wash away the filth? By a spirit, ruach, a breath, a wind of judgment. We're saved through the judgment. I'm worried about the judgment coming. <laughs> God's working through the judgment, folks. By a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. So, repent, be baptized with Christ by the Holy Spirit and fire, and bear fruit. You're not just supposed to get refined and singed by the fire. You're refined unto new life by the fire. And you will bear fruit. And here's the good news. Okay, you heard my fire and brimstone now, right? Okay, repent. Come to the Lord. Be on your knees before the Lord and ask him. Yield yourself to him to change your life. That's the salvation message. Are you with him? Has he changed your life? Are you on fire in a new fire that comes by the spirit of the Lord? 
Here's the good news regarding Zion. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Now notice this. Now we're talking 2.0, right? What we're gaga over is not the land flowing with milk and honey. It's the land flowing with people who are fruitful. You hear the transition here? You got the transition going on here? It's, it's, and Jesus says, I am the vine. Jesus doesn't say, let me take you around like Joshua and Caleb and show you how beautiful the land is. It's not about, it's not about the geography, folks. It's about the geography of your heart and what's going on with you spiritually. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. John 15, 5. And that, yeah, Jesus says much fruit, polycarpus. Not just carpus, polycarpus, much fruit. If you're alive in Christ, there's a whole lot of fruit going on. Not measly stuff. So number two, from exile to exodus to engagement, 2.0. Kupas, Kupas, for papas. Um, Isaiah chapter four, verse five, the first two thirds of the verse. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies, that is plural, because we move from 1-0 to 2-0 now. Y'all catching this? There's Gentiles involved now. There's a whole lot of assemblies coming in. And over her assemblies, a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Anybody know the Old Testament? What's that ringing a bell on, right? The exodus, the exodus, right. From exile to a new exodus. This is what God is saying through Isaiah. The Lord, Yahweh, went before his people in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Exodus 13, Exodus 14, Exodus 40, Numbers 9, Numbers 10, all through the Exodus story. From exile to Exodus to engagement. We don't just get the pillar, right, of cloud by day and fire by night. Guess what else we get? Oh, this is getting really intimate now. Kupas. A kupa. For over all the glory, there will be a kupa, right? You say, I don't know what that is. Look in the bulletin, and yeah, I've got my picture right there, right? That's from exactly two years ago. That's Nancy and me at our kupa, right, at Caesarea, Israel. Y'all see that canopy thing there? That's a wedding canopy. No, we didn't get married two years ago, but hey. The kupa was out there at, at the Mediterranean at Caesarea. And uh, we enjoyed an early anniversary. So, this is a term that is used in Hebrew Bible and in Jewish tradition. This is what couples get married under. And it symbolizes the openness to God's presence and God's protection and blessing on the marriage. Y'all see that? That's what that canopy is supposed to symbolize. And here... In Isaiah 4, God through Isaiah is saying not only you to get the, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night, but also there's a wedding happening. Does God love us or what, right? 
Does God love Zion, his ultimate bride of all those who believe in him? Oh, yeah. Um, so this term, it, it's in, in Psalm 19. It's also in Joel I just pulled out. This is actually a, a passage dealing with some judgment, but uh, the, the, the applies here. Let the bridegroom go out from his room, his chamber, and the bride from her kupa, right? You say, bride. I recognize that over in Revelation. You're exactly right. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. Remember all the sevens, right? And now we're at the climax of the seventh cycle of Revelation. And spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Who's the bride? Zion, the church the people of God. God loves us that much. And the cycles all point to this marriage celebration. Kupa for Papa. Which brings us to number three. You thought we were moving from 2.0 to 3.0? Yeah, definitely, but there's more. There's more moving to 3.0. From exile to exodus to Eden's rivers of God's gone 3.0. Forever in God's garden. Remember the way the Bible pretty much opens. I mean, after chapter 1 and the overview, the structure of the creation, remember Eden. Anybody remember Eden? and God's garden, which is in Eden. Now, Eden's bigger than God's garden, but God's got a garden in Eden. Genesis 2, 10. Now, a river, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. From there, it divided and became four headwaters. And remember, the headwaters shoot off in four rivers, which go in the directions of all these nations and areas we're reading about in Isaiah, right? Right? Over toward Egypt and Assyria and Babylon. It's already already there. And, and this is these are not Passover verses in Genesis 2. We're really supposed to be paying attention to what's going down. We got water going out, okay? In the Messianic kingdom, the rivers are going to come in and they're going to be people. So uh, a river flowed out. Um, Isaiah 2, 2. It shall come to pass in uh, Akarith, Hayamim, the last days, the end of the days. I told you here, it doesn't have to mean this. In, sometimes in the Hebrew Bible, it doesn't mean this. But here I do read this as last days. This is eschatological. This is big stuff here. Shall come to pass, in the end of days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the Rosh, the head, the chief, biggest, most important of the mountains. Because remember, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This means there's only really one God. And the mountain of his house is the one you got to go to. Don't tell me about Meru. Don't tell me about Meru. Don't tell me about the Acropolis. There's one God and one big house and one big mountain. Establishes the head of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. 
And look at this. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's amazing. And the nations, the Gentiles, shall flow to it. Ever seen a river flowing upriver? Upstream? Up a mountain? Hmm? Eden, as Ezekiel tells us, was a high place. Eden was a high place. That's why the water flows out from it. Y'all catch this? This is why Ezekiel says this in 28. Ezekiel 28. Now we got the mountain of the Lord lifted up as the chief, the head of all the mountains, and the people are going to flow up like a river. That's how powerful God's saving grace is. That's how amazing Zion is. All the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us his ways. There's that word again. And that we may walk in his paths. Here's that word again. For out of Zion shall go forth direction from the Lord, Torah, and the Lord's word from Jerusalem. Now, here's the promise. Psalm 46, Psalm 1. We will be forever fruitful in God's garden. Okay, so I've just taken you over the whole Bible. Are y'all catching this from Genesis all the way to Revelation? And back here, the message of God's garden 3.0. God's paradise. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, this is an awesome paradise. Uh, Psalm 1. 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Torah, the direction, the instruction of the Lord, and on his direction, this man meditates day and night. He is like a, catch it there, tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all the things he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're not going to stand at the judgment, nor sinners within the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. Now, let me take you to Zion. And, and you can already see this. It's, it's all coming together, not just in the promise of the days of old, but in what is coming. Psalm 46, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And then God says this, God the peacemaker, God the one who will make all things right. He will bring us through judgment, and the redeemed will rejoice in the great wedding celebration. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. They're not going to study war anymore, are they? No. They're going to turn their war weapons into fruitfulness. And then God says, verse 10, cease striving, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Yeah, they're going to flow up like a river. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Happy Father's Day, Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.